The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, I want to tell you I am stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer this 2020 season with the Bench with Bubba podcast joining the Rotoballer radio network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball players their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer 2020 MLB Draft Kit is live, and all Bench with Bubba listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's Draft Kit by using the discount code Bubba. Rotoballer is home to the number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2020 rankings and projections are available as part of Rotoballer's draft kit, along with printable cheat sheets, draft sleepers, and busts. More than 300 2020 player outlooks and tons of in-season tools. All this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with a discount code Bubba. Just go to rotoballer.com backslash Bubba and get your draft kit today. They have tons of great stuff and you get premium with promo code Bubba, DFS, all the goodies. Use promo code Bubba, sign up at Rollerballer, get an extra 10% off with promo code Bubba. Now to tonight's episode of Bench with Bubba. Back everybody to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode two ninety six. We're gonna have a baseball season pretty soon, so we're gonna talk about that and potential shortened season strategies, some some uh, categories to target. We have a great person to do that. He's been writing some awesome contact over at Roto Fanatic, the new site with our boys Matt and uh, Sleepy Kirkland. Those guys are, are crushing it over there. You can find them on Twitter at Roto Clegg. Chris Clegg, welcome to the show. How we doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm uh, super excited to be on tonight. I'm looking forward to some good fantasy baseball conversation. Yep, we have some good, good fantasy baseball conversation. Before we get into kind of the meat and potatoes of all of this, uh, I, I mentioned Roto Fanatic. I know you got prospects worldwide. Uh, just let everybody know like kind of what you got going on, what you're doing on Twitter, what uh, where they can find you. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of you probably don't know me. I'm I'm fairly new to this whole thing. Um, I didn't. 
really start writing until this March. Um, I had a little blog that I started about a year ago uh, just for fun because I love fantasy baseball and I've had a passion for it for a long time. And I just decided, you know, I'd really like to write and put some of this to paper. I wanted to share my passion for it with others. And so I had that little blog going for a while. And then um, SP streamer, Michael Simeon, uh, gave me a shot to write on his site. And that's really where it all blossomed. And I really fell in love with this and and doing this. Um, and so I'm super thankful for Mike. Uh, if you're out there listening, I appreciate you, all that you do. And so he gave me a shot over at SP Streamer. And then uh, kind of we merged after a couple months, so it became Roto Fanatic. So like you said, kind of a collab site that uh, a lot of the writers from SP Streamer and Bases Loaded, they all came together. And we started this thing called Roto Fanatic, which launched it's late May, so it's pretty new, but uh, we've got some good things going on there. I'm super excited. Also, just started writing for Prospects Worldwide, which uh, is another, another new site also. Um, but I live locally in Greenville, South Carolina, which is home to the Red Sox single-A team, the Greenville Drive. So I'm going to be covering the Red Sox for Prospects Worldwide. Being out there, I go to a lot of drive games anyway, and uh, so now I'll be able to do some scouting on some prospects. And so you can catch me over there doing some scouting reports, but then on Roto Fanatic, specifically focusing in on fantasy. And so, man, this is, it's been a ride. It's been an awesome few months and just super cool to see, man, just the, the community that the fantasy baseball industry has and the Twitter community is wonderful. I've met so many great people throughout all this and I'm just thankful that I've had this opportunity and just thankful for the people that I've met along the way. I'm just looking forward to getting some baseball back and uh, just getting to know some more people in the community. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, that's cool. That's that's real cool. That uh, the, Michael Simeon is one of the. He, he's I think he's too quiet. He's too nice. <laughs> I think he's 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 amazing. He's awesome. Once you get to know him, he likes to talk. He he's very talkative, but he just kind of does his thing on Twitter, and it works perfectly for him. Like he's such yeah. an awesome guy, a smart guy, and um, it's little things like that. Like I have my deal. He's got his. There's a lot of free outlets like that that I try to tell people all the time. You don't have to have any experience. Just come on down. See if you like it. See where it goes. You never know. So that's cool that uh, you dipped your toe in the water and you saw how much you enjoyed it. Because in the end, we're all baseball fans. We're all fancy fans, and getting to talk about it is what we do. And that's why the community is good. So that's awesome to hear. Um, you mentioned the single A team. I love it because I, I go to the single A San Jose. It's about an hour from my house, so it's not as close. Which is, I wish it was closer. I go to a lot more. But I, I love, I love going there and just you know relaxing, getting good seats, cheap. Um, watching these young kids develop it's it's much more like just relaxed and personal i i actually prefer it more so than like a going to a giants game or something hey what do you what do you what's your experience like uh, going to minor league games do you have a, a similar sentiment yeah for sure it's uh definitely it's a it's a different environment and i really love that about it it's like you said you can go so cheap and it's it's just chill and relaxed and it's just a blast um and i, I love i'm a big braves fan so I'm about two hours from Atlanta. So I go down for five, 10 games a year, but it's just being the convenience of the minor league and the easy access, even talking to players, um, just yeah. the cool atmosphere that you get at the minor league games is, is really unbeatable in my opinion. So I think I would tend to agree that I, I think that it can, and sometimes is better than going to a major league game. Yeah. It's just that feel I got, I remember joking around is the, I think San Jose's locker room's a little more blocked off, but the visiting team, if you're going like behind the third base bleachers to go get like a drink or something to eat, literally they have to walk through the same hallway to get to their clubhouse. 
So after they take BP for like an hour and a half before the game, most of them are like in their shorts and t-shirts sitting outside there because the clubhouse is too hot. And they're like, they're just playing cards literally in the walkway. So you're walking around, there's all these guys with like a bat on their shoulders hanging out. It, it just, it makes me laugh so much thinking some of these guys are going to be in the show in like two to three years. Like <laughs> <laughs> This is like, it's just, this is how it all starts for some of these guys. But speaking of young guys, you're, you're a Braves fan. How much does it suck getting to watch Acuna and Albies and company all the time? It must be really, really tough to watch them on a regular basis. Oh, man. You, you aren't lying. It's super tough. <laughs> but then again, man, the, the deals they sign, I'm super excited to have them around long term. And there's a lot of lots of like going on in Braves country, but it's got to produce in the playoffs, man. That disappointing the way went down last year against the Cardinals. Hurt a lot. Yeah, that but- was- that was a good series, though. Like, I'll, I'll never forget, and this is why baseball is great. You don't have to be a fan of the team, but the playoffs last year were amazing. Like, they were like really, really good baseball. And I'll, I'll remember that uh, Flaherty Fulty matchup in Atlanta. That was one of the better. Fulty pitched out of his rear end. He, like, he pitched really, really good. Flaherty kind of didn't have his A game, but he, he was such a good pitcher. He still pitched great. Um, it, it was just such good baseball in that series. Obviously, like you said, didn't go quite the way of the Braves, but they're so, so darn young. And you still have all those pitchers coming up. Um, their time's coming. Their time yeah. is definitely coming. So How, I can hope so. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing to worry about there. I, I don't know if it'll be a uh, Bobby Cox, you know, Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz type run, but I think they're going to have a – because that, that East is, is a good division too. So yeah. that's going to be a, a tricky one. But, hey, let's talk about baseball. We yeah, have a chance it. to see baseball here pretty soon, Chris. And I, I know there's a lot of people that have been like doom and gloom because it's been pretty crappy. It, like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hide it. It's been a, not the greatest of, of situations. You know, there's we think for a while we're gonna go over 100 games and maybe 80 games, and then nope, we'll be lucky to get 48. But now the MLB comes back with a 60 game deal, prorated salaries, almost everything's on the board. We know MLB is going to come back with 70 games. They do that. They tweak a couple things in there. Owners are throwing a fit. In the end. I'm a big believer that we're getting baseball. I think we're still getting like 65 games. What's your thoughts? What do you think we're going to see? Yeah, I have to agree there. I mean, as we've seen, it's just gone back and forth. It's It's been ugly, a lot of doom and gloom. I've stayed optimistic, just truly believing that we're going to get baseball, and I still think that's going to happen. Hopefully we'll get some good news soon. But as we've gotten closer, we, we're finally, I think, on the home stretch. At least we can hope. And so – Again, split 60 and 70, you get 65, 66 games, somewhere in there. So I don't – I think that's probably what's end up being agreed on. I mean, most of the other terms are pretty much in place now and just seems like it's lined up with what the – the owners have finally got on board with what the players want with the full prorated. And so I know the owners were a little pissed about the fact that they were going to have to pay – I forgot the number I saw – that much – that many more million dollars to go from 60 to 70, but – at the end of the day, I think we probably come in somewhere in the middle at 65, probably start mid-July and see till normal the end of September for the 65-game season. Yeah, that sounds about right. They get their extended playoffs like they wanted, so they got all their TV money. Uh, we get the DH, a few other little things thrown in there. It's uh, The most important thing is we're going to get baseball, and it's going to be a short season, so it's going to be tricky, and we're going to talk about some players to target possibly for certain categories in a little bit based on some of your work over there at Roto Fanatic. But just kind of in a an open idea here, you know, some people like to play Roto. I'm a Roto fan. A lot of people like to play head-to-head. Don't fault them because the whole point about fantasy baseball is playing what you like and have fun. So play whatever works for you. Uh, there's daily leagues. There's weekly leagues. There's bi-weekly leagues. There's so many ways to go about it. But on a shortened season, 
not everything's going to work the same. So what kind of formats do you foresee yourself preferring to play in a shortened season? I'm already pretty strictly roto. I'm just not a big fan of head-to-head and the luck factor in some ways. Last year I was in a head-to-head league and this guy in our league went undefeated all season. And I mean, I, I still had a good team, but I ended up beating him in the championship game, even though he had a significantly better team, just based off the fact that my team performed better that week. And so I've never been a big fan of that. Just there's a lot of luck involved, I think. So I'm I'm big on roto leagues already. And I was thinking this kind of season, you're going to have to play roto because if we see, so we're looking at probably like 10 weeks, 10, 11, somewhere in there, there's no way you can effectively do a head-to-head league, in my opinion, because it's going to be so short, and then you have to get playoffs in. You're going to put everybody in the playoffs. How's this going to work? There's a lot of variables. And in my opinion, Roto Leagues, the best team always wins. There's more time to play. You don't have to worry about playoffs. And so I'm I'm already playing all Roto Leagues, and so I don't plan on changing that just for a shortened season. So I would encourage – any of you head-to-head fans, if you've never played Roto, to try it out because I'm a big fan. Again, I think best team always wins. And so I am I would say for a shortened season, you definitely probably need to play Roto format. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm team Roto as well. Uh, for the head-to-head people, like I've talked on uh, other shows with people, like I did an In This League baseball show, and we just kind of had an open format for the three of us to kind of think of ideas to play. Uh, there's DVR's idea of – you play everybody every week. And so that kind of, they think evens things out. Uh, You can play a couple, like three or four matchups a week. I guess there's ways to go about it. There's, but I I prefer Roto. I think there's like fun ideas you can have. If you like head to head, you can play Roto for like seven, six to eight weeks, give or take somewhere. Then you take like the top four teams and have a head to head playoff for the last few weeks. You can do stuff like that. But still, like you said, if your team doesn't play good that week and you still have the best team, you're still going to get screwed. And that's why I don't, that's why I get frustrated head to head because, you know, when you're doing your research with baseball, like other sports, it's such a long season and given short season now, but such a long season, you can almost always rely on the back of the baseball card. Not always because, you know, guys have down seasons and whatnot, but when you're drafting a guy and, you know, projections, either it's ATC or the bat or streamer or whatever, you're looking for, you know, 270 with 35 homers and blah, 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 blah. If he might have a, a rough start or a rough patch somewhere, but by the end of the season, he's getting there. So, Roto, you still get your reward. And um, that's what's really good about it. Now, now, if you're playing Roto, are you playing daily lineups, weekly lineups, biweekly? What do you prefer? Because on this shortened season, this is a discussion that I'm really looking forward to. Once we get the brass tacks of what's happening with extended rosters, I could see extra off days potentially. I could see, you know, there's going to be more players. Lots of interesting scenarios in play. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be very interesting. I like uh, daily lineups personally, always have. It's a grind for sure, especially when you're in so many leagues. I probably play in in too many leagues. I know some guys in the industry play in a lot more than me, but it's a grind to set lineups daily and, and daily transactions. But again, like you said, there's going to be some weird things happening. You're going to see people getting more rest. You might see four-man rotations, six-man rotations, the bullpen's going to be weird. It's, it's going to be an interesting kind of season, especially then it throws the wrench into the fantasy side. And so I do think that, again, a daily lineup is probably the best way to go. Weekly is obviously easier because you set it, you leave it. 
that's nice for some people. And it, it's, again, it's, it's good in a lot of ways, but I'm just the kind of person every morning when I wake up during the season, I'm setting my lineups. I'm making, looking who's starting at the day. I'm trying to get it all down and ready to go. But this season we're probably going to see even weirder things happening. And so probably guys are, are going to get rest when you don't expect it. And so being able to sub them out, there's going to be deeper benches. Will fantasy, will your fantasy league get a deeper bench because of that? I don't know. I mean, there's things to think about there. And so a lot of different variables that could happen. And so that's why I kind of prefer daily lineups, especially even more in, in this kind of weird shortened season that we're going to see. Yeah, I've learned to appreciate the bi-weekly offense, weekly pitching that NFPC offers. But in this this format, I'm definitely starting to lean towards give me the daily moves situation. But I want to do it where you can't make ad drops every day. It's just one of those things that it's the ad drops every day. I think that really kills some people. Not everybody. Some people are bred for it. But I think that's what gets a lot of people on the daily moves things. It's, it's, it's one thing you just set in your lineup every day. There's another one if there's like one guy in your lead that streams a pitcher every day and all of a sudden their counting stats go through the roof and you just have no chance. And that's like there's a fine line in how that all plays out. The other thing, like you mentioned, I think the expanded benches could be very interesting uh, on that scenario. And it's another reason why I think um, a future article topic of mine, and you feel free to use it at the Roto Fanatic if you like, I think focusing on some multi-position eligible players is going to be tremendous this year. I think that's going to have a massive impact on your roster when certain guys um, get get moved out. Like I've always been a Nico Goodrum fan. He moves up. There's a bunch of guys, especially going later, like John Birdies and and all those guys towards the end of drafts that really get a bump with the DH, with the expended rosters, that kind of stuff. Could be quite interesting and something else to look at. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It'll It will be interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, last last thing I'll, I'll ask in this regard would just be a more of a pitching question since we're going to talk some hitting here pretty soon. And it's it's been funny because I think I've heard all kinds of different ways to attack it. So on a shortened season, you mentioned 10 to 11 weeks. So most guys are going to get 10 to 13 starts, give or take, it depending on how they, they use them. Uh, not all guys are going to go deep into games. Um, closers might not get as many closing opportunities as normal. Bullpens might get used a lot differently. How are you approaching pitching? Because it's going to be quite the wildfire. Yeah, I've gone back and forth so many <laughs> times on what kind of strategy is the best to take. And again, there's a lot of different ways you can go here. If if you ever want to punt saves, this might be the, the most viable year to do it because, man, it's going to be pretty wild, I think, with that. I think the bullpens are going to be really weird. You're not going to have a long leash. So if Edwin Diaz blows a game – they're not going to have the leash for it. I mean, in 60 games, 70 games, you've got to put your best pitcher out there. You've got to put the person that's performing on the field. And especially in the sense of relievers, if if Diaz goes out and and gets one out in the ninth and gives up four on runs and they pull them, that blows up your ERA. It kills your ratios. And so there's a lot to think about there. But I still like in the bullpen, I like trying to get at least one Solid closure that I know is going to keep the job, like a Roberto Ozuna type. He's just a stable, like, don't think he's going to lose the job. Steady, gets the job done. And then I'm taking shots on guys later, like like Keona Kella or Joe Jimenez. I mean, these guys, will they keep the job? I don't really know. But they definitely could get saves, and there's not many people in those bullpens that will take jobs from them. 
And so that's kind of the strategy for the bullpen. From the starter's end, <laughs> again, I've gone back and forth. Should you go the pocket ace strategy? I don't know. Should you go hitter heavy at the top and, and look for guys in the mid-tier like Max Freeds and Zach Gallons? I'm not really sure. <laughs> so I've gone, I've wavered on that. But I do want to highlight the fact that players with innings limits are getting bumps, like your Jesus Luzardo. He's a he's the most popular example. And Luzardo is a, a fantastic pitcher. But he's going he's I mean, his ADP has jumped 40, 50 spots almost in the last month. But my question is, is he going to go deep enough in the games to make it worth it? If Lizardo goes five innings in a game throughout the year and he gets the same number of starts as, as someone else going in his ADP range that goes seven consistently, you're getting a lot more counting stats from, from those people that are going to be able to go deeper into games. And I'm just not sure if like Lizardo is going to be up for that or they're going to let him be up for that to go the, to go deeper into games. And it's going to take him time to build up. And there's not really much time to build up in this situation. And so, again, I think guys that are innings eaters is going to be important. Guys that have upside that can provide value and good return on investments where you draft them. Part of me thinks that maybe it is important to go heavy on starting pitcher early because you get your workhorse guys that you know are going to perform. <laughs> but that's still something I've been working through a lot in my head as to what strategy that I'm going to attack. We've been doing some mocks and I've kind of been playing around with it, just trying to see, but still I'm kind of a little undecided on that in my head. Do I want to attack starting pitcher early or late? And so I don't have a solid answer for you on that one. No, it's tricky. It's really, really tricky. It's a fine line because, you know, when it comes to offense, you want guys that are pretty much locked into their roles that are going to, you know, get a lot of at bats consistently, but you might have to draft them earlier. So can you afford to draft aces early, but we know what the aces can do and most of them should you know, Scherzer, if he's ready to pitch, he's not going to have an innings limit usually. Uh, Cole, those kind of guys. Verlander's, there's reports Verlander's already thrown again. Like, stuff like that, those guys shouldn't be on massive innings limits, but you can bring up the point of Lizardo. It's a very valid point. Is You know, we love the guy. We love his stuff because it's filthy. There's no hiding that. But does he go five innings? Does he go four and a half some games? Does he even, so he doesn't even qualify for the win? How often does he go six or seven? Like, we saw it with Chris Paddock last year. It took a while for – the Padres to finally let him go deeper into ballgames. Um, and that's because the season's so much longer. You know, are we going to see that with Lazardo? Do the A's, you know, say, hey, we have a shot this year, but let's not waste him and, and rush him and rush injury chances, and let's have him and Puck ready for 2021? Lots of things to look at. So it's going to be wild. The teams that win are – I'm not – luck's never the right word with fantasy, but there's going to be a few things you have to luck out on. That's just the way it's going to have to go, like – because we know how guys have slumps throughout the season. That's what baseball is, a lot of peaks and valleys. You're going to have to hit the guys that have very few slumps, if no slumps at all. And it's going to be really, really cool to see how it works. And I'm just looking forward to the chance to watching baseball and playing fantasy baseball to see it all happen. And I believe it's going to happen sooner than later. Uh, You've written three articles at Roto Fanatic about shortened season stats, stolen bases, home runs, and batting average. We're going to go one by one here and kind of just gloss over them real quick so people can go read them. But uh, when you looked at stolen bases, you looked at different people at different ADPs, and stolen bases is one of those stats that people attack them early because they want them early and often. But you were finding some that were going later in drafts, and you were finding guys that you know have 15, 20-plus stolen base upside, which if you have enough of those, is still really strong. Uh, you mentioned guys like Bo Bichette, who I am in love with, the part of the baby Blue Jays. Um, we don't need to go there. Victor Robles is a beast. But later on in drafts, like after pick 100, 
there's a couple guys you were looking into. Oscar Mercado is a guy that some people are in love with. Some people, I don't know, they, they, they haven't been able to figure out yet. But what he did last year was great. People forget that he was one of the guys in Fabapalooza. Are you in on a guy like Oscar Mercado this year for his stolen base upside? You know, I've been completely out on him until I wrote this article. <laughs> Having <laughs> liked the ADP, didn't think he provided the strong value that you needed. But looking into it, there's a lot of stolen base potential. And I think we probably saw the power max out last year. But if you're looking for stolen bases, I mean, he's definitely got 30 steel upside. I mean, his sprint speed is is elite, 97th percentile on baseball savant. 90-foot splits or 92nd percentile. Um, I, he definitely has the speed to swipe it, swipe, swipe 30 bags over a full season at least. I mean, obviously we're going to see that abbreviated a little bit, but he definitely has that ability. His profile's not that dissimilar from Victor Robles, who's going what, 50 picks earlier on average. And so you can get similar value there. And I know some are down on Mercado based on, what he did last year, low OBP. He's not going to get on base enough to steal, but last season was a pretty big outlier once he hit the major league. I mean, he was a high on base guy in the minors throughout that career. And so there's there's no reason to think that he can't steal a lot of bases. And I think you're going to have to take chances. Like teams are going to want to take chances because they need to win. And so when you have a speedster like Mercado, I mean, you got to use him, let him run free, see what you can do, make things happen. So there's definitely that upside to steal a lot of bases there. Yeah, no, there definitely is. And he's in that lineup, you know, with Lindor and Ramirez and, and Santana and some other boppers there. It's a weird lineup because it's very top heavy and then it gets kind of murky. So it's one of those, if he's hitting towards the top of the order, it's going to be gravy. If he's hitting towards the like six, seven spot, could get interesting, but you'd, you'd imagine they're going to try to put him near the top of the order. But we could hope, hope so at least. Uh, you mentioned Ahmed Rosario, and this is a guy I took with one of my last picks in DGFBI last year, and it was amazing. Loved every bit about it. Um, his, his draft price is obviously going up a little bit, but you look at a lot of his numbers, there's a lot to like about him, yet still not getting drafted that high. I think it's a combination of shortstop being so deep and then people just not believing in Ahmed Rosario still. But he's made a lot of changes at the dish. You looked into some of those. Are you believing in Ahmed Rosario now as a, a later shortstop target? Yeah, he's definitely somebody that I like a lot. And like you said, I think some some prospect fatigue kind of set in because he was the number one overall prospect on multiple outlets a few years ago. And then when he came up and kind of didn't produce, people kind of forgot about him and tossed him by the wayside. I mean, his first season, he only he was walking 1.8% of the time. It was pretty bad, striking out nearly 30%, poor batting average. But he's improved every year, and he's only 24 years old. And last season, I mean – Pretty good stats across the board. He had two, 287 average, 15 home runs, 19 stolen bases. And a lot of that came from his changes, his approaches at the plate. I mean, we saw across the board his contact going up, um, swinging less out of the zone and making better contact actually outside the zone when he did swing. But his zone swing percentage stayed pretty similar from first to second half. That zone contact jumped a ton in the second half from the first from 85% to 92. So making a lot better contact on pitches in the zone. And he only had a 260 average in the first half, but then second half that average jumped up to 319. And so big, big production boost there. Some changes were made at the plate. His strikeout percentage dropped. And that all goes back to, we're talking about steals. He has, again, elite sprint speed. And which 
tends to lead to steals. If he's getting on base more because his average is higher, then he's going to steal more bases. And again, another guy that's, I think 30% or sorry, 30 stolen base upside in a full season. Um, Again, we're going to see that tone down a little bit, but he has the speed to do so. And he's shown the speed in the minors and the ability to steal bases. So I think now as we see him kind of get more comfortable with the plate against major league pitching, you're going to see um, that kind of boost and you're going to see him improving. And then that equals more steals, the more he's on base. So I like that a lot. I like Rosario a lot as a target in a deep shortstop position. He's he's just going to keep falling because people are getting shortstops so early and they're filling up their spots. And then Rosario is kind of tossed by the wayside. So I've honestly found myself waiting a little bit at shortstop because there's so many good values so much later and attack other positions or other, other things early on in the drafts. I, I completely agree with that strategy. Like I have not been disciplined enough to do that every draft. When certain guys fall to me at the right spot, I, I jump on them. But it makes a ton of sense due to the depth. Like you, we just talked Rosario. Uh, everybody loves Dansby Swanson, obviously. He's going much later than that. Like there's there's more Jorge Polanco. There's tons of targets, tons of shortstop options. So if the replacement value for another position is there, I get it. I just find myself sometimes you see like the, the Lindor story, um, Trey Turner starts or Javi Baez or – one of those other guys up top, it's hard to to pass at times, but the the smart move on paper for now would say to wait because it's so darn deep, but uh, you never know. Uh, after pick 150, this one I have to ask you about. I saw you, your, your tweet about him when I was scrolling through the timeline earlier, and it's, it's a name that many of us can't quit, and he was having a great season last year before he got hurt again. But Byron Buxton is going after pick 150, and the talent can't be ignored. It's more just the consistency. Are you back in on Buxton for 2020? Oh, I love Buxton, man. I, I can't quit. <laughs> and I've wanted to quit so many times. But just the improvements I saw in May last season, um, just big improvements at the plate. And again, he's elite runner. He's the third fastest runner clocked in baseball, um, just behind Tim LaCastro and, and Trey Turner. And so – He's got the elite sprint numbers. There's no reason to think he can't steal bases. We know that the issue has more been injuries and consistency, the ability to stay on the field. Um, he stole in 2013 in two minor league levels, stole 55 bases. He's got the elite potential, no question. But there were some very interesting things that he did at the plate last year that that I really liked. His He dropped his K percent by 7% from near 30% down to 23%. His walk rate doubled uh, from 3.2% to 6.4%. Hard hit rate jumped from 27% to 38.7%. Barrel rate jumped way up from 1.6 to 8.3. Hitting more balls in the air, line drive and fly ball percentage went way up. The the sprint speed's obviously elite. And at the ADP, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone that over a full season has the 25 homer, 30 stolen base potential there. And so, again – there's the risk. There's a lot of risk that we have to address with Buxton. But last season, we know that he was, he had a great year. Uh, but again, it ended shortened by the injuries. But I pulled out his numbers to 550 plate appearances and ended up with 19 home runs, 89 runs, 86 RBIs, 26 stolen bases, and a 262 batting average. And so, again, borderline five-category contributor there he can get the batting average up a little bit, which he was trending upwards last season with a lot of the changes in approach we saw at the plate. 
He's a guy I really like. He's very polarizing across the fantasy community. You either love him or you hate him. I think he's kind of kind of seeing his last chances. Like if he if he can't produce in 2020, then he's just going to fall way, way, way down. Probably lose a spot. There's some good players in the Twins outfield and their in their farm system coming up. So a lot of potential for him to lose a spot. He's got to perform soon, I think. And so this could be the year. <laughs> I'm hoping this is the year for Byron Buxton. Yeah, I think many of us are hoping it's the year for Byron Buxton because, man, he's fun to watch when he stays on the field. Uh, the last player I'm going to ask you about here on the stolen base one, and it's uh, going after pick 200, Colton Wong we saw last year for the Cardinals. Once he started playing regularly towards the top of that batting order, it was very, very productive. And more importantly, he stole 24 bags last year, and that was a big, big plus. I don't think everybody saw it coming just because we've seen so much inconsistency with Colton Wong. Um, was this like a one-year deal with Wong? Or are you buying in that, uh, A, the value is insane, and B, this is the player he is, good average, good steals, little power. We can look forward to that going forward. Yeah, he's definitely an interesting case. Um, there's a lot of question marks whether he can maintain that. The 24 stolen bases were just completely kind of out of the blue, and he's not a great runner by any means. He doesn't – I mean, his sprint speed's above average, but it's not great – but again, at a position like second base, I think he could provide some sneaky value late in drafts. Um, I don't think you're going to see much more than 10 to 12 home runs, but if he can post a good batting average, 280, 275 or better, and then if he can provide like even 15 to 20 stolen bases at his ADP, I mean, you're looking at a good return on investment. And so, again, I don't, I don't know how much of that is replicable. It may be a career outlier, but at that kind of pick, you're not – there's not a whole lot else around him. And especially when you're looking at like steals, I think he pr- contributes enough across the board in a couple different areas to be, be a value there. I think he's going to hit at top of that lineup. And so you're going to see a lot of opportunities for him, but he's a pick I like under the radar. Yeah. Especially at that point in the draft, it's hard to find stolen bases at that level that late in the draft. So it's a very, very interesting pick, a nice middle infield target late or if you missed on second base because it's so shallow and you get lucky to grab him late that's not a bad alternative prize uh, let's talk about some home run targets uh later in drafts on a shortened season and the first one we're going to talk about is your cover boy on the article and the fact he's going to, have to pick 175 is bananas to me it's crush davis chris davis with a k he um was hurt a lot last year and it definitely showed in the production i'm a believer that he's going to bounce back just fine are you a believer that we get that that raw power Chris Davis back this year? A hundred percent. He's he's actually one of my favorite players to take in drafts this year. I've had a, some good debates with people on Twitter who aren't big Chris Davis fans, but I mean, we know who he is. He's he's Mister Consistent. He hits two forty seven every year. Hits forty plus home runs. I mean, twenty eighteen he led the league with home runs by five. He hit forty eight home runs. The next closest was forty three. I mean, he dominated, he hits the ball hard. And I don't think that last season he just forgot how to play. And do, I really dove into him pretty deep. And we know that he got injured in the in Cincinnati when they were when he was playing left field. He caught that great ball over in foul territory, hurt his hip. Um, he just wasn't the same afterwards. But thing was, he started the season equally as strong last year. I mean, he had 10 home runs over the first month. And so looking like, regular Chris Davis there and just everything, all the signs point to him just being hurt. We know he battled 
a couple injuries. He got hit by a pitch that affected him. But just across the board, I think that he's a guy that's going to rebound. <laughs> Could hit 247 again. Now, that was one of the listener questions. It's kind of fun. I mean, because he did it. He did four straight years. but Which is crazy. He has the – yeah, <laughs> crazy consistent. But, I mean, he's got the power, no doubt. I mean, we know that he has the ability to hit 40 home runs over a full season. And I just think that it, there's no reason to think that he he won't do it again. He didn't for just, just forget how to hit a baseball out of the park. But I think the injuries contributed a lot to that. And, again, he's going to contribute elsewhere, like RBIs. He's, he's not going to be great for batting average. He's not going to destroy your batting average either. So he's a home run target that I really, really like. The next one, Jock Jams, was one that when he was rumored with Ross Stripling to go to the Angels, I was over the moon for it because it was finally the chance for Jock Jams to do his thing. Now, with the Universal DH, that will open the door for more regular at-bats, but we still know Peterson is not going to face lefties. He cannot hit lefties. I don't know if he's given been given the proper dues. It's always a bugaboo of mine that – They'll say young hitters can't hit lefties. They never let them hit lefties. So how are you going to learn how to hit lefties if you don't get to hit lefties? That's always one that just bugs me so much. But in the samples we've seen, Jock cannot hit a lefty. I think it's pretty pretty cut and dry at this point in time. But boy, oh boy, can he hit righties. And he hit them a long, long ways. So I've been torn on drafts with him because the, the price is amazing. We know the power is insane. Uh, the, the universal DH should open up more at-bats for him. But it's also the Dodgers where – their roster is built to platoon everywhere. What's your thoughts on Jock Jams? Like, are you gonna? Are you? Is he worth the risk for you after pick two hundred? I don't know. I haven't gotten many shares of him this year because, again, the platoons just scare me. And in a shortened season, the platoons are going to be even more extreme. I think they're going to show on a fantasy team to the extreme if he's not playing every day. Like you said, the Dodgers are the king of platooning players. That's what they're built for. It works well for them. Even with the universal DH, how much more does he play? You know, I just wonder how many more at bats can he get because if they're facing a lefty, he's not going to be in the lineup. So uh, I'm torn, but I've been passing on him a lot, even though we know the power potential is there. I just don't think that the risk is, is truly worth it in a season like this, even though we know the power that he can provide. There's some other, other targets that I like going probably a little bit after him that have similar potential and you don't have to worry about them being platooned. And so I've, I've been kind of passing on him, even though he is a guy that I do like a lot. Yeah. I think if it was a, a longer season, I'd be much more inclined because you can be like, okay, if he still plays 120 games, he's going to hit me 30 plus homers, but on a shortened season, 60, say 65 games, and he platoons and maybe plays 35 games, 40 games at most that's going to put a little hindrance on things. So that, that makes it a lot different. Um, we're just going to look over CJ Cron because this is a very pro CJ Cron podcast. We've talked about him a million times. So the fact that this is a CJ Cron article, big fan, people street it just for that alone. But the guy after him, I'm curious about, we're talking platoons and Hunter Renfro. There is zero doubt that he could hit the ball extremely hard and hit it a long, long ways. There's zero doubting that at all. Um, in San Diego, there was a question of playing time. He gets Delta Tampa Bay. Everyone's pumped. And then they go and trade for Manny Margot and Jose Martinez and more guys because that's what the Rays do. They just stockpile players. So are you still in on Hunter Renfro? Because if he does get every day at bats, he's going to be money. But there is another platoon situation here. Yeah, again, the platoons, I'm trying to avoid at all costs in the shortened season. But 
roster resource projection to play every day, which is interesting. I don't know because the Rays are, again, they're just like the Dodgers. They're built to platoon these guys. There might be uh, – Willie Adamas might be one of the few that we know is going to play every single day, and they're so deep in the outfield. I don't know. The power's there. I mean, he hit 27 home runs before the All-Star break last year. There's so much raw power. The average was respectable, at least prior to the All-Star break at 252, but he kind of fell off pretty hard in the second half. And I think some of that was due to injury. Um, It was never like really public, like he wasn't put on the IL or anything. But the Padres manager did mention in September that Renfro had been battling a sore elbow and and a bad ankle that I think contributed to his poor second half. Again, I don't know. The home games in Tropicana are not much different than Petco. I mean, it's, it's not much of a park upgrade, but it doesn't hurt him much either. But will he play against the question mark? Just like with, with Peterson, are we going to get enough at bats to make it worth it? I'd like to think so. And I think that, I mean, he's, he's definitely a better hitter at least than most of the guys the Rays have out there in the outfield, but I don't know. (laughs) Again, another question mark of, of guys that could be really good and valuable if they play, but will he actually play enough to provide it? I don't, it's the question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's tricky. It's just, it's definitely tricky. But this last guy we're going to talk about, I think his value is insanely good. A lot of people thought he might have overachieved last year. And I could see an overachievement, but the power's legit. He hit for solid average. The Orioles are a bad baseball team, but they can produce runs because that division produces a lot of runs. You know, the Yankees have some good pitching, obviously, with the Red Sox pitching's down, the, the Jays pitching's down, the Rays is good, but then – you know, the Orioles hitting in that ballpark is always huge as well. And Renato Nunez, monster season, going after pick 270. Um, first base can dry up. You know, we talk about C.J. Cron, We talk about Christian Walker and some other targets late. Nunez is one that gets kind of overlooked a lot. Are you uh, are you liking what you see in Renato Nunez? I do. Yeah, I mean, he he played most every day. He hit a lot of home runs, drove in a lot of runs. Batting average, eh, it's okay. I mean, he hit 244 last year, so nothing to get excited about, but it doesn't destroy you. He's not hitting 210 to 220, but he definitely benefits from Camden. I mean, he's he mashes the ball, hits a lot of home runs, the splits. Actually, surprisingly, when I looked into it, his home road splits were for home runs were pretty even. He had 16 at home and 15 on the road, so it shows that he does have good power that plays pretty much anywhere. Um if you look at just his exit velocity, you're not going to be impressed. He's 67th percentile average exit velocity of 89.9 miles an hour. But when you look on line drives and fly balls, which I think is important to do, if you're looking, trying to look at exit velocity, he had a 96 mile an hour exit velocity on those hits, which again, those lead to home runs. It was the 28th hardest in baseball. He also barreled 7.2 barrels per plate appearance uh, percentage last year, which is an encouraging number. I like that. A lot. I like him a lot. I mean, you can't go wrong with with him there. I mean, at 270, 275, he's a 30 home run type player. He had a bad low Babbitt last year of 272. Should see that rise a little bit. Um, probably hit closer to his expected average. It was It was 252 last year. So I think the average could bump up over 250, but the power is there. Like if you're looking for power late, Nunez is a guy. He's a sneaky pick, and he's a sneaky source of RBI also at the end. So you're getting a couple things there, not just the home runs, but you're also going to get some boost in RBIs. And it's, I mean, at that pick, you're you're not losing anything. 
there's really only stuff to gain. You can get a lot of return from him. And again, he gets hot at the right time in a 60-game season, and you're going to get a big boost from him. And you made a very, very uh, – we had many good points, but uh, a very strong one there. At that point in the draft, you have nothing to lose. Like literally, you're either going to play him, he's going to succeed, or you drop him and move on to the next best thing. Like that that's the beauty of it. It's not like you're taking Renato Nunez at pick 64. Like you really – you're taking him 220 picks later. Like things are – Things are good at that point in time, so I like that quite a bit. Uh, let's go on to your recent article about batting average targets, and this is one of those I think can be very valuable because if you – some people just punt batting average. Uh, I think on a shortened season, it might be worth just punting batting average because it's just up in the air, and you know, an 0 for 4, a couple 0 for 4s can really change things a lot. Um, at the same time, finding late batting average is not easy, and you put some really good names together here, and we're going to kick it off with one that stings – because I did see him play in San Jose for the Giants, and then he was traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and that's Brian Reynolds. And um, I didn't think he'd be this productive, but the hit tool is always there. Hitting over 300 last year, looked very, very strong, and people are buying into it again this next year. What did you see in Brian Reynolds, or do you like it? Because after pick 180, he's pretty solid. Yeah, he's he's got a great profile. And, I mean, again, he's hit everywhere that he's gone. He wasn't well-known as a prospect, um, which, again, kind of flew under the radar last year as he came up. He was lighting the world on fire in AAA. Hit, he hit 367 prior to being called up, and then he just continued it. I mean, he hit 314 last year, and also hit 16 home runs, chipped in a few steals with three. I mean, fourth-place rookie of the year, Brian Reynolds, right? And I mean, a guy that you would never expect to end up on being one of the finalists for rookie NL Rookie of the Year. And – he just keeps performing. He he doesn't have the track record, which probably concerns some people. But in his in his minor league career, in a thousand and eighty eight at bats, three twelve batting average, he he hits the ball to all sides of the field really well. He limits his soft contact. Um, nearly eighty five percent of his contact is medium or hard hit, and the Statcast data backs it all up. I mean, his ex- expected batting average was two ninety six, which was ninety six percentile of all hitters, and Again, I looked at a heat map, some a few heat maps for him, and you can see, I mean, he's super productive on pitches in the zone, but if he can limit on swinging outside the zone, he's going to be – the batting average could rise even more, which is crazy to think, but, I mean, it's so poor on swings out of the zone, like well below average. But if he can learn to watch the pitches better, if he can see that coming, if he can swing less outside of the zone, then you're really going to see a jump. I mean, he's the profile is a lot to like. I mean, even if he hits just 300, if it's 290, I mean, you're still getting a good return because he's not giving you a zero in other categories. He's still going to provide good value across the board. And I think there's a, a lot to like there with Reynolds. Yeah, I think I think you're you're definitely onto something there. I've I've had a hard time pulling the trigger at that point in the draft, but I, I definitely see the batting average appeal. If you're in like a five outfielder league, that's a, a great later target because he's not going to kill you in any one stat Uh, the Pirates offense isn't going to be great by any means but it's getting better see what moves they might make on a shortened season maybe let some certain players come up and get some more playing time and and a little more productive than we think maybe Josh Bell bounces back uh, after that second half kind of swoon who knows exactly what happens there but one thing's for certain Reynolds is um, something special when you look at that chart like you're talking about the way he protects the outside of the plate is pretty pretty darn impressive I was uh, quite shocked by that um, hitting 457 middle out, 400 uh, low and away, and 471 down the middle. 
Uh, that's that's pretty pretty good stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the Washington Nationals. This is a guy that I've found myself liking more and more because it just seems like he gets forgotten about. I know, like uh, you know, they lost Bryce Harper, but then they go and win a World Series. They lose Anthony Rendon, another big loss, but they still have Trey Turner. They still have Juan Soto and company. That the, the offense is still going to be very good. And at the top of that order is Adam Eaton. And you know, so we talked about Buxton injury history. Eaton has one as well. But when he's on the field. Very, very productive batting average, good OBP, still steals bags, a little bit of pop, and he's going to score runs. So after pick 200, I'm on Adam Eaton. Are you on Adam Eaton? Oh, 100%. I mean, he's if you're looking at the strategy of um, just chipping away at home runs and steals, like a death by a thousand paper cut type strategy, Eaton's the perfect target. I mean, he contributes everywhere. He's going to be elite in run scored. I mean, we know that. The batting average is, is well above average. I mean, last season – 15 home runs and 15 steals. That's pretty respectable. And honestly, a lot of people won't like this, but a very similar profile to Andrew Benintendi, who he out, who Eaton actually outperformed last year. And obviously Benintendi's a lot higher upside. He's, he's shown to be able to outperform that and he doesn't have the injury history, but Eaton's got great ability and the nationals obviously loved him enough because people are quick to forget how much they gave up in a trade for, to get Eaton back in 16, they gave up Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, and Dane Dunning, who were all big-time prospects then. And so they really believed that Eaton was a piece that would help them win. And he did that last year. He produced across the board. He stayed healthy the full, basically the full season. He played 151 games, and he provided across the board. He helps you in many places, and he's not going to hurt you a lot of places. He's going to excel in runs. He's going to be a good source of batting average. And again, if he can be a 15 home run, 15 steal guy, then great value at his ADP going after pick 200. Yeah, I'm, I'm all on board with that. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. You mentioned Ben Intendi, who's going a lot earlier, over 100 picks earlier than Eaton. I'm, I'm not saying pick between the two because I'm pretty sure you just said you'd rather have Eaton. But out of curiosity, I know there's people buying back in on Ben Intendi. He burned many of us. I had him ranked very high last year, and it was disgusting. But I know people are buying back in on him, you know, hitting towards the top of the Red Sox order. No bets, but still a pretty good offense, obviously. Devers and Bogarts and others. Are you are you a believer in Ben Intendi bouncing back, or are we kind of getting what we think? Like, is, is he who we think he is type thing? I think he's going to perform better than he did in 2019, but I'm not sure if the, the value is worth what people paid prior to 2019. I mean, we know he's definitely better than that. I mean, he's shown that ability. But I don't know. I mean, I do believe that it, he will be improved, but how much? I'm not sure. I think I think a lot of people thought that he was going to be a lot better, and people were paying a high price. But personally, I think we know what we're going to get at best, and that's probably like a a 20 home run type player. But I like him. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not sure. I think his value is probably pretty close to accurate going around pick 100. I, Maybe take him a little higher, but again, I think we know what he is. I don't think the upside's like tremendous. Uh, well, the next guy in your article is Alex Verdugo, who the Red Sox got from the Dodgers in that Betson Price trade. And a lot of people love uh, Verdugo for his batting average. Would you rather have Verdugo or Benintendi based on their price? Um, solely based on price, I actually like Verdugo. I mean, I, he seems to be fully healthy. He's he came out and said at the beginning of May that he's good to go. He's 100%. 
ready for the season. And if if that's the truth, if we if he's truly healed from his back injury, then I don't see any reason that he'll provide a better return on investment where you're paying. I mean, going at pick 231, again, there's not a lot of risk, but there is upside. He, he hits the ball well. I mean, he hits the ball to all sides of the field. He has good power, good batting average. He probably could produce similar stats to what Benintendi does. Maybe probably less steals, but still, he's got good value, and the rate of return is a lot better, a lot more likable at his ADP. Um, the last guy that I'm going to ask you about in this article is Howie Kendrick. And I love Howie. People don't love Howie. The guy just hits, hits and hits. He's not as old as people think he is. He's, he's old. Don't get me wrong, but not nearly as old as people think. Um, the biggest problem with Kendrick is regular playing time, but he's got eligibility all over the diamond. He, with the DH that could help him play some more mashes lefties, hits righties just fine. Uh, there's a good chance he still plays quite a bit and he's going after pick 400. What is there not to like about Howie Kendrick? I mean, at the price, there there's everything to like. You mentioned <laughs> the matching left-handed pitch, and he hit 376 against lefties last year. Right-handers, oh, just 327. You know, nothing, nothing to scoff at there. A great hitter. He just hits the ball. I mean, his exit velocity, all of his – if you look at his baseball savant profile, it's just blazing red. 92, 92nd percentile exit velocity, 100 percentile expected batting average. K percentage, 91st percent, hard hit percent, 94, X slug, 98 percentile, whiff percent, 89 percent. I mean, it just is endless. I mean, he's a great hitter. He just doesn't play. And that's the concern. Like, he's just not going to get enough at bats to be worth it. But at that price, I mean, you you don't lose anything at all. At 414, what? I mean, that's insane. And so you can plug him in in a daily lineup league when you know he's going to play, especially if he's playing it against a left-handed pitcher and he's just going to mash. He's, he's a great yeah, hitter all around. Yeah. I think he's, you said the daily lineup. I think he's tremendous in a daily lineup league. He's harder for a weekly lineup league. Would you draft him in a weekly lineup league? In a deep league? Yes. But it just depends on how deep and probably in a, a standard like 12 team Roto league. He's probably going to sit on the waiver wire. If he gets hot, you can snag him, but like an NFBC format, like he's he's definitely worth drafting. How late he's going? Yeah, that's that's what I'm kind of I'm kind of at that point with him right now. There's just so much to like with him, and you know Ryan Zimmerman doesn't scare me for playing time. He'll probably get hurt. Um, it's just one of those deals. It just takes one little injury here. They're like, I like Starling Castro at second base. So I think that's a good move there. You still got Cabrera running around. Like, there's a lot of moving parts there, but the fact Kendrick can play a lot of places and that DH will be tremendous for Howie. I think he's got another good year of bay and average and with a little bit of pop. So definitely something to like there. Uh, before we get to listener questions, I know you did a lot of work for the MLB draft. Uh, you were tweeting stuff out a lot and you, you did some talking on different shows and writing about it. Uh, just for fun, I, re- I recapped the draft on the last episode with James Anderson. And, you know, we, we talked about the top picks, you know, the, especially offensively, Torkelson and Martin and Gonzalez and Veen, those guys that went early outside of the main targets, like uh, Howard was mentioned a lot with the Cubs outside of the main targets, who would be some of the guys you'd be looking for in first year player drafts? Just, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but <laughs> who, who are some guys you might be looking at? Yeah. So like an outside of like the top 10, top 15, like picks, like I really love Nick Bitsko. He's a tremendous pitcher. And I think it's a match made in heaven with the Rays. I mean, he fits that system perfectly. They develop pitching he resembles Charlie Morton a ton. 
he's one of the most polished 17-year-old pitchers that I've seen. And so the upside is just tremendous. So from a pitcher standpoint, probably one of my favorites there. And he's and what I see, tend to see a lot in first-year player drafts is that people just look at where they were drafted. And the fact that he went in the 20s, you know, people are going to see that. He's going he's gonna to sit back for a while. But again, he's only 17. It's going to be a while till he's around. If you're looking for players that are going to contribute sooner, he's probably not the guy. But long-term development, I think he's going to be a frontline starter. I like him a lot. If you want to go to later rounds, uh, the Mets just had a tremendous draft all around, a lot to like. But Isaiah Green, a guy they took in the third round, he just raw, raw upside. I mean, he's got potential to be a 20 home runs, 30 stolen base type guy. And again, no one's going to draft him in first-year player drafts. He's raw. His his floor is probably very, very low. So it's the whiff potential on him is is likely. But if he does hit and he develops, then he's very, very raw and got the huge upside. So I like Green a lot there. Now, those are just a couple guys that I like. But obviously, the high-end guys, I mean, Austin Martin, he's probably the second-best player next to Torkelson. From a fantasy standpoint, I think Asa Lacey is going to be a stud. Lots of light. And this draft was deep, man. There's some seriously good players. So even, no matter where you're picking in your first-year player draft, there is a lot to like. No, I like that. It, it seems like a really good draft, especially for fantasy purposes with a lot of those top-end guys. So it'll be fun to see. And we'll see some of those guys pretty quickly, it sounds like. So that'll be yeah. pretty sweet. Uh, let's do some listener questions here. we got about five or six listener questions, which is great, as always. Uh, at Sleen Dress has a question for you. you kind of hinted at earlier will chris davis hit 247 regardless of season size so if he's not going to hit 247 do you think he hits over or under 247 i'll say he hits 247 but i'll probably take the under but not by much not by much i'll say he hits somewhere between like 242 and 247 i like it i like it a lot uh dave swain good uh listener of the show friend of the show at David, I always screw this up. Davithius, he asks, "Who do you believe everyone is drafting too high? One pitcher and one hitter. So, if you're looking at uh, ADP or whatever, who are a couple of guys you think are going too high?" Uh, and this is going to upset some people, but DJ Lemayhew is is not a guy that I'm in on. He's going pretty high. I don't have the exact data of where he's going right now, but all the drafts I've been in, just too high for my likings. I mean. I've seen some deep dives where he is, I mean, people back up what he did, but I'm just having a hard time buying into a guy who had a huge breakout at age 31. And I know that Yankee Stadium played a big part of that, but at the same time, I mean, he was playing in Coors Field, which again, one of the best places to hit. And I just pulled up, he's going to pick 62. I think that's a little high for my liking. There's no way, I don't think he's going to hit the home runs again. You know, he's going to produce a good batting average, but nobody was even drafting the guy last year in, in most standard Roto leagues. And then here he is, I mean, breakout season, but it's just a little, little hot for my likings. I know that probably upsets a lot of people, but <laughs> that's, that's a guy I've avoided a lot. Uh, uh, the but, hit, well, I'll do, I'll do my hitter and I'll let you do your pitch. Yeah. The hitter, the hitter for me, and it's a guy I've been off the entire time and it, it bugs people as well, but it's big meat Pete, Pete Alonzo. I think he's going too high for me. He's going to pick uh, 33 right now. Uh, there's no hiding in the fact he's a, a very talented power hitter, 
But especially in a shortened season, if he gets off to a slow start, you can kiss that goodbye. That's a high pick for that situation. We saw in the second half last year the strikeout rate rose. Uh, you saw where pitchers were pitching him more. He was chasing like crazy in the second half. Uh, if the bouncy ball's not there, it won't affect him as much, obviously, even though I think the bouncy ball will be there. But all it takes is one little slump. That second half, we saw it where the average dropped tremendously. The power wasn't as great. Still good, but not as great. Where you're drafting him at, it could be a big detriment to your team. So I haven't been on Big Meat Pete all season. I'll definitely be off of him in a shortened season. What pitcher are you looking at? Struggle with this one. I will say, <laughs> with a caveat, I was off Zach Granke prior to the season, but in a shortened season, I do think Granke provides good consistency that, that you do need. But I'm going to go, actually, a reliever and say Josh Hader, uh, just because I picked 60 overall. Man, that's just a little high for my liking for a guy who – not even sure is going to get the the bulk of the saves in Milwaukee. We know Corey Knable's coming back. They've got some intriguing options in the bullpen, and they've shown in the past that they actually like Hater better in like that fireman role. And so, again, he provides elite ratios, a lot of strikeouts, but drafting a closer that high who I don't think has a lot of job security is, is just not a route I'm looking to go. Yeah, no, I, I, I could definitely see that because I think Knable will – get into a handful of saves, maybe even double digits. Just that three batter minimum is going to be interesting this uh, season, especially in a shortened season. So keep that in mind. Uh, mine a little bit after Hater is Tyler Glass now. I don't I don't doubt he has talent, but between the injury history, the, uh, the lack of consistent location in the zone, and the lack of another pitch, those things all just don't, don't add up for me. Uh, we saw him pitch really well, but just couldn't stay healthy walking too many guys for my liking and he needs that third pitch so glass now is a guy like granky's going right after him i'd rather have granky um there's guys after him woodruff um even jose barrios i'm not a big barrios guy but he eats up a lot of innings so i could see that being nice but glass now will not be on many of my teams that's for sure yeah i can get on board with that as well just not consistent enough to to be worth it in a short season he doesn't have enough time to really get going so yeah kind of out on glass now as well all right, good friend of mine and good friend of the show, Mr. Yancey Eaton. He always brings the fun questions that aren't even fantasy-related, which I appreciate. <laughs> he asks, what does Clegg do for fun that isn't sports-related? Man, a lot of my time is actually with sports-related stuff, obviously. I'm doing a lot of fantasy baseball stuff. I'm a big golfer, so that's probably my biggest hobby is golf. Um, I actually coach the local high school team here, so I played in high school was going to play college golf, but I kind of got burned out a little bit. So passed up a chance. Many regrets. I regret that a lot now. <laughs> Wish I could go back. But also I play guitar. So that's kind of a, another hobby. And then spending time with my wife. Um, don't have any kids yet. But we have two little dogs. So spend a lot of time with her and the dogs. So those are a couple of the hobbies. Uh, kind of boring, <laughs> if you'd say. But yeah. no, that's what I like lot. doing. We have a lot in common. I don't play a musical instrument. What kind of guitar do you play? Do you play acoustic or electric? Both? Yeah, I can play both, but I prefer playing acoustic, like a, a rhythm. Yeah, just kind of hanging out by the campfire and playing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, for yep, sure. I can, do, I can dig that. Um, yeah, no, I, I I love golf. Absolutely love golf. I'm not nearly as good as you. It sounds like, but uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy playing golf. I'm like a fifth. I fluctuate between like a 14 and a 16 handicap depending on the day. But um, you 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 sound much better if you had a chance to go play in college because I have a a very good friend who had college offers and didn't go play in. He fluctuates between like a minus three and a plus two. So uh, he's, he's very good. It's fun to play with him. But, 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I have the wife, the two dogs. We have a baby on the way, but uh, oh, for, awesome. the long, for the longest time, it was just the, the, the same situation. So I get it. It doesn't sound like flashy, but it's it's awesome. I'm, I'm all for it. Wouldn't pass it up at all. What is your uh, golf handicap out of curiosity? I'm playing to a four right now. I kind of went through a rough rough stretch. I'm January through March, man, it just was rough. I went from a three to like a 6.5 in a short oh, period wow. of time. But, yeah, I was just couldn't get together. But been just grinding, trying to get it back. Shot 72, even par, last weekend. So finally feeling good about that. <laughs> So I was going to say I want to go play there. golf. I was going to say I want to go play golf with you, but I'm going to get my butt kicked. So <laughs> uh, that'd be fun. Um, yeah, that would be fun. That take and there's a lot of us that golf in this industry, so you'll be surprised. It's going to be one of those. I get told, I get told, a I need to come out to first pitch Arizona, which I haven't done yet, and I got told B I need to bring my clubs because there's a group of guys that want to go play golf. So um, you'll definitely yeah. have to join in on that one. Whenever yeah, that that'd be a blast. Place. Um, the next question, we'll keep this golf related. Michael Simeone, a guy you might know. We talked about him a little bit at the beginning, <laughs> Mr. SP Streamer. It's a great question. Um, what's the favorite golf course you've ever played on? Because you sound like if you played in high school, you probably played some good courses during that. And then just in general, you probably played some good ones. You have so many awesome options over there. So what's the best one or the one you enjoy the most? Yeah, we've, we, had a, we have a lot of good opportunities down in like the Myrtle Beach area. A lot of good courses. I've never played anything like that the tour guys play. Like I've always wanted to get on like Harbor town or the ocean course. Haven't had that chance. There's two courses that, that really stand out to me. One of them is called true blue. It's down in like South Myrtle beach. Um, it's just a tremendous course. Like we played our state championship there uh, four years ago, the team I coach. So again, the benefits of coaching got to play practice around with them a couple of times. So that was a lot of fun. But then back to the high school days, um, there's a course down in Aiken, South Carolina near Augusta. It's called a uh, Palmetto golf club and they, I've heard, I've heard they about host, that. Yeah. So I played in that four years in a row, Southern cross tournament. And it's just unbelievable. It's, it's called like Augusta junior. It's really close to Augusta and just unbelievable tournament experience. Like that's like the peak of all high school tournaments. And just to be able to play that four years in a row was just something special. And the course is, man, it's hard as crap. Like it eats your lunch. But it, you just can't beat playing a course that quality and, and that fun. And so that's that's probably my favorite I've played. Yeah, I've, I've heard of Palmetto. So that's supposed to be a pretty sweet one. Uh, for me, I've played Silverado where the Safeway's at up in Napa. If you can hit a straight drive there, you can score. I'm just not consistently straight off the tee. So <laughs> it's, a, it, it's not one of the more challenging golf courses on tour, that's for sure. But uh, where I live now, down in a little south of Monterey, uh, I, I didn't live here for high school. If I did, cause I played a little high school golf up in uh, the Sacramento area, but the kids here, they got to play pebble and spyglass, all those courses oh, as, a, as a part of it. I'm just sitting there like you guys suck. All of you. So like envious. all of, uh, yeah. Like they're telling me stories about that. And it's like, you guys stink. Um, one of these days I'll play pebble. I haven't played it yet, but out in this way, one of my favorite courses and my buddy who I mentioned is the, the really good handicap. He's played pebble. But he plays Quail Lodge with me, and he says mm-hmm. he likes Quail Lodge better than Pebble. He says the only thing you don't get is the ocean, which who cares? You're playing golf. Yeah. But um, it's cool. I get seeing the ocean. Like, I get it. But it's not – you're playing golf. Um, but the greens, like I love putting. Uh, I, I pride myself in putting, and they roll pure and fast, and they're just glorious. Like, I love everything about them. So I like that one. Uh, there's Poor Man's Pebble Beach called Pacific Grove. That's really cool. It's like the first nine holes are inland and then the back nine are on the ocean. So you get a little bit of both. 
Um, I know I'm going to name off more than just one, but played Morrow Bay this last week and I've wanted to play forever. It was awesome. But the other one I will mention, it's up by San Francisco. It's called Half Moon Bay. They have an old course, which is in-houses, like a par 70, not a super long course, really fun. And then they have the ocean course. It's a link style. But um, you see like the the photographs, you play the, the, the old course, first 16 holes are in this land, the, the like housing, then you pop up Alpha 16 green, and it's a par three with the ocean behind it. And then 18 has got the ocean to your right and this gigantic Ritz Carlton behind the green. And so as you approach the green, the patio right there is where their bar and lounge is. And it's packed in the afternoon. So as you're approaching the green, chipping up or whatever, and then putting, there can be anywhere from like 20 to 200 people watching you. Yeah. And it's one of the coolest experiences ever for a guy like when you're not like just a regular golfer. But they're sitting there like clapping for you and stuff. It's nerve wracking, but awesome. So Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That sounds like a great experience. So, yeah, I, I, as you can tell, I enjoy golf. So I could sit here and talk this with you all day. But people probably oh, want yeah. your fantasy baseball questions. <laughs> so um, let's get to Stoli at John underscore Stoli. He asks, he wants to hear the best trade you're able to pull off. He's a sucker for a good trade. So did you have like a Pirates got robbed by the Rays type trade or did you have a good trade? Yes, I had a a trade last year in my home dynasty league that really boosted me over the top. Um, I was able to get Shane Bieber and Mike Moustakis right as I traded Aaron Savale, um, Brent Honeywell, and one more prospect, uh, Jonathan India, and was able to snag Bieber and – Moustakis, it was like right near the trade deadline. It was right after Savali had taken off, sold high, and I didn't win. I fortunately finished second. I slumped down the stretch and sucked to lose. But getting Bieber in a dynasty like that for pennies on the dollar was was pretty sweet. So that's probably one of the best moves I made. But I do want to highlight a worse move because this move will haunt me forever. There's another keeper league that I'm in that I've been in for a good while now. And as I had Juan Soto as a prospect coming up and one of the league mates suckered me into trading him the day he got called up. I was like, all right, I'm not sure what he'll turn into. Like I obviously thought he could be something special, but I swapped him and Luke Weaver and I got Bichette and Adele, which is not terrible, but still it's like Juan Soto, man. Like I missed out <laughs> on that and it just beat myself up about it daily. I still think about it. It's been a couple of years now and I just hate it so much, but so yeah. you win some trades, you lose some trades. In a few more years, that one might look pretty good. I hope well, so. t- time will tell. But that's the fun of dynasties. Um, I'm only in a couple leagues, and I just picked one up. I'm rebuilding, so I really don't know if my trades are good yet because I literally had to like unload everything and start start from scratch, basically. So I really have no clue if they were good or not yet. And just I'm just kind of in waiting mode. But I I don't do a lot of trading leagues anymore. A lot of the NFPCs don't trade and stuff. So the last time I had a real trading league, I, I I apologize. I can't even remember when a good trade was. Um, I could just bore you with the dynasty trades from this past offseason that I thought we were playing right now, but they're not. So that's kind of a bummer. So I don't really know how good or bad they were at this point, point in time. But, uh, yeah, sorry. But uh, Chris's were much better than mine. I'm looking forward to one day talking again about Weaver and Soto for Adele and Bichette because I think that's going to be a fun one to look back on. That's for sure. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Chris, that'll wrap us up for tonight's episode. It's been a blast talking to you. Uh, why don't you once again remind everybody where they can find you on Twitter, websites, the works. Sure. Yeah. Again, you can find me on Twitter at RotoClegg, C-L-E-G-G. You can find my work over at Roto Fanatic. Again, we're a new site launching up. A lot of fantasy stuff going on there. 
And then again at Prospects Worldwide, do some doing some minor league scouting over there, did some draft stuff, doing some draft recaps on their podcast, and also um, writing some team breakdowns of each draft. Just just dropped the Red Sox breakdown, who I'm actually covering, working on the Braves, my team, and a couple others that'll be coming out. And so I've got some work coming out on both sites that I'm excited about. And man, I'm just hopeful we'll see some baseball soon and can actually play some fantasy, something that I love. I know many of you listening love. And so I'm just hoping we'll get back to that game we love really soon. Yep, it's coming real soon. But uh, until then, we'll keep prepping for it the best we can and uh, having conversations like this. So Chris, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you again for having me. It was a blast. No problem, man. We'll do it again sometime. Everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 296 with Chris Clegg. Catch you guys later. 